so welcome to this week's episode of the Python People podcast. And uh, today, uh, our festive December episode, um, I'm joined by a very special guest in Manish Patel. Manish, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you. No problem at all. Um, so Manish, you are, um, for those people that are yet to have the pleasure, you're the, uh, the CEO of um, an AI uh, machine learning business uh, currently focused on the healthcare space called uh, Jiva AI. Um, so um, yeah, I guess, well, first and foremost, how's, how's, uh, how's life with you out of lockdown? How have you found it? So it's been a quite a turbulent time i guess and i i think that's probably the um the story for most startups at our stage um especially within the space that we're in where we're looking at um you know cutting edge technologies that require uh, investment and require time they require uh, human resource and all of these things seem to have gone up and down during during lockdown and um, during the pandemic and so there's been um yeah, it's, it has been a difficult time, but you know we're getting through it. And startups like us are, are now seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, I guess, um, with with things getting slightly better. And of course, a vaccine. You know, it's, it's vaccine day today, of course. Yeah. Uh, they, so, they, so, they, so, <laughs> um, so 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 it's you know we 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 are we are seeing the, um, uh, the you know the light at the end of the tunnel at the moment and. Uh, preparing for for a time where we can you know get back to some kind of normality so um, you know all of those all of those things that you find difficult in a uh, in, in creating a company and creating a product and getting some traction you know all of those things got a lot harder in the last six months and, oh, yeah. um, uh, in 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 varied and imagine imaginative ways uh and uh, you know we, we came across things that we never thought we'd have to deal with um so early on uh you know there, there are the problems of, of course that, that all startups have to face at some point but i think i think we've gone through this um selection pressure this artificial selection pressure um and and i think the startups that will evolve out of this pandemic um uh, again especially in the space that we're in you know this weird nexus between technology and and health um We'll be better off for it in the end, and, and I think if you, if you if you have survived, if you if you're if you're listening and you've survived through uh, through this pandemic, and you're at a similar stage to us, I think I think you've done well just to have got through this, and um, uh, and you know, uh, I, I think the future future times, 2021 is going to be it's, it's going to feel a lot easier. I'm, yeah. I'm hoping. Um, if you can get through 2020, you'll, you'll definitely get through 2021. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It's um, it, uh, like you said, use the term the light at the end of the tunnel, but it, it really does. You know, I know we've got a long way to go yet, and obviously the vaccination yeah. programs which just started today, so it's still going to be many, many months. But just having that knowledge that there's, there's, you know, a vaccine that's actually making its way into the system, it, I think it's only going to be a good thing for people's. Uh, well, the economy and people's kind of mental health, um, you know, to kind of yeah. know that the, these difficult yeah. times might be uh, behind us. But uh, no, I totally agree with you that, you know, this this year, yeah, because obviously True North as a business, we we started towards the end of, of last year, um, mm. but really only had a few months before the pandemic hit. So I think it definitely, uh, it forces you to be uh, quite uh, resourceful, shall we say. Well, you have to be inventive, don't you? So, so yeah. for yourself, I guess, I mean, you're looking for talent 
and um, placing that talent in in innovative companies. And so, so you've got you, you're in a weird situation where you've got you've probably got a lot more people coming in as supply, but not so many people coming in in for demand. Yeah. And and you have to be inventive with the way you the way you shape that. And and it's the same for us. We have to you know we've got we'd love to be able to hire. Uh, I would have loved to be able to hire two or three data scientists, and, um, and we've just had to shift things, shift things drastically. You know, even even um, well-established institutions like Innovate UK, right? So we've got an Innovate UK grant, and um, it is part of a multi-million-pound um, uh, project that is involving uh, Manchester University and Roche Diagnostics and GE and all sorts of other um, big players. And, and and even they kind of had to delay six to nine months to start the project because you know there's 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 disruption all over the place. So we have to be inventive with the way we with the way we do things. And um, like I say, I, I would have loved to have hired people in the last six months. Um, but on the flip side, all of that, all of those things that were repressed during this lockdown, I think there's going to be a massive release in 2021. I think there's going to be yeah. a time between January and June of next year um, where, where there'll be, uh, you know, there'll be an, I wouldn't say, a, I wouldn't say a, a multitude of startups getting lots and lots of cash, but there is going to be cash being floated around. There's going to be investment. Yeah. There's going to be movement. And, uh, and hopefully there are going to be better times um, in the yeah. first half of that year. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I think it, yeah, this year has caused people to or forced people to kind of have to have to pivot, you know, and, yeah. and sort of think on their feet and, and adapt well, we to what the market's doing. But for a lot of companies, I agree, it hasn't sort of changed the end end goal and the end picture. Um, it's just maybe sort of pushed pushing back a little bit. But yeah, now this kind of light is on the end of the tunnel. Um, it does feel like companies are now starting to really kind of mobilise and think quite seriously about twenty twenty one and yeah, you know, sort of really uh, going into it with a. a, a high degree of optimism which is as we are which is you know, fantastic yeah yeah i mean it's, it's, like, it's like i say you know you things like i mean it sounds really simple but um you know i'd budgeted some some amount of money for having an office that can accommodate you know up to eight or nine people uh, that has its associated costs in terms of hardware and infrastructure and and, and that kind of thing and that's now we probably you know we're probably not looking at doing that for at least a year um, it, but it does. It changes the repertoire of the type of person you're going to bring into the company, and also changes your outlook on and your strategy on how you're going to deliver a product. Because mm. now you're thinking, well, actually, we can probably hire developers that are in the US or in Europe or wherever, and we can, you know, we, we're going to have to invest in technologies like, uh, you know, one one I discovered, uh, one of my teammates discovered. Um, uh, uh, earlier on was it was a, a, a project management tool called aha which is i would never have thought of using it but the fact that we're all remote now and you know have to discuss ideas and have to um, plan things in, in electronically um, basically day in day out without the possibility of having any meetings for a number of months means that we have to invest in those kind of things and invest our time in, in getting those things up and running and yeah. uh, i think that's um you know, just just the way just the way you build this company, just the way you run this company or your company, um, uh, has, has completely changed. Uh, yeah. Not necessarily for the worse. Uh, you know, it's just it's just a matter of adapting to. to yeah. When, yeah, I totally I agree. Know. I think yeah, there has been a lot of positive changes in. in I mean, obviously, it's been a horrendous year for, for lots yeah. of reasons, but I think yeah. there's been a lot of uh, 
positive shifts that have, that have happened throughout this year and you know a lot of the conversations i'm having with with ceos and mds now about the business you know when they are on the other side of this pandemic you know mm. hardly any of them are thinking about you know well, right we're going to get straight back to the kind of draconian five days a week on site in the same office or together you know i think it has been this sort of conscious shift of actually you know certainly in the industry you and i are in kind of the, the data and ai space people can work really effectively from home if not more effectively um but um i guess you know i think we'll end up getting to this probably quite sensible hybrid model you know where there's i think yeah. you can always kind of replace the quality of the interaction you get face to face you know being in the same presence of someone else you know just from a sort of collaboration and the creativity standpoint i think there's something to be said about sort of physical proximity and, and i think that would always kind of be be the case Absolutely. but um i think you know one two days a week you know probably will do it and for a lot of companies now they're kind of happy for people to be based wherever and uh, i think going back to your point earlier about you know the, the market one of the things it has done you take you right it's as much as it's been a you know um a bit of luck of the draw really as to how badly your business model has been affected due to the pandemic i mean some industries have been absolutely decimated like travel and you know uh, hospitality and events yeah. and that kind of thing but there's there's other industries you know which are, are booming and doing really really well and, and and you know healthcare is a sort of example of that as well i guess yeah. um, well but, with my other hat on i have a i have another startup in hospitality and um, and I, I mean i don't i don't work directly in it too too often now but um that company we had you know all of our clients were independents and and uh, so independent restaurants bars pubs and when lockdown hit in april um almost immediately you just saw this massive impact and you know just pulling away from contracts they didn't want to spend a lot of them are now out of business unfortunately um some of them are coming back just now uh you know trying to trying to get back and up and running before christmas mm. but there's been a huge impact in hospitality it's you know these yeah. guys these guys were basically earning just enough money you know after they paid their rent and all this kind of stuff they hardly have enough money to 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 live right and and so putting putting a restaurant out of business for six months is basically a killer unless you yeah. have some really big you know investors or uh, money in the bank that you can rely on and, and, and to keep things going most independents mm. don't mm. um uh, but again on the flip side it, there's also an opportunity here right so of course hospitality will eventually uh recover uh but you know selfishly speaking from a from a from a business perspective that's an opportunity for us that's something that you know we we know people are going to need our technology that we know they're going to need want to use remote ordering from mobiles for example and that kind of thing this represents an opportunity for us to yeah. to you know, fill that gap um and so as as entrepreneurs i guess we just need to be agile to uh, to those requirements and be there um to to help uh, to help those industries mm. uh, so yeah, like you say, it's been a horrendous time for a number of reasons. Um, um, but now that we're hopefully coming nearer to the end of it, um, it also represents some really big positives and really big opportunities for people like us to to, to fill. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. I think it's, it's a lot of it is an attitude thing, isn't it? Do you look at the glass half empty or half full, and and times of of, of change yeah, it does present huge opportunity um and yeah you know there's been examples of businesses that have just you know um rightly or wrongly done incredibly well throughout this time so it's just about and say being uh, creative and 
and, and pivoting. But um, yeah, it's interesting. You've got sort of another another uh, startup in the hospitality sector. But tell us tell us a bit about your background and uh, Manish. What, where did you sort of um, you know, where did you come from? What sort of career to today? Sure. So um, as an undergrad sort of molecular geneticist, you know, was it was in that buzz time of human human genome project just about oh, yeah. being finished and so that was that was the in thing to do i i probably wasn't into it as much as i should have been um uh, I, you know I, I actually earlier earlier in my academic sort of career uh, i wasn't much of an academic i was more of a i was i quite liked the idea of becoming uh, of, of of writing fiction and that and that kind of stuff. i used to do that as a hobby and never really had anything published but um cool. you know uh, towards the end of my uh, degree uh, again that was coinciding with the end of the human genome project that's when things started to spark in my head with you know uh, the, the possibilities for the next 10 15 20 years with what the human genome project was now producing was was tantalizing and and the scientist in me was suddenly being awakened in that, in that stage and um and so that we had a plethora of data coming out of um coming out of the human genome project and, and went on to do uh, bioinformatics which is this um sort of cross between computing and biology genetics and uh, engineering i guess to some degree um and maths and and so in this uh in this masters that i did we kind of learned about everything from um how do we with masses of data from 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 products such as the human genome project but then how do we also make use of that uh, scientifically how do we how do we do um you know in silico simulations for example and that kind of thing that kind of got me onto the track of uh, complex systems research um uh, went on to do a phd in that particular field where we were simulating um, behavior of tumors. So uh, how does a tumor grow and how does it vascularize? How does it respond to treatment? Um, specifically, we were working on um, this idea of model integration. And so model integration basically means a repertoire of lots and lots of different sort of um, mini models, if you like, that describe various aspects of the system. So I had a model that described um, how a tumor grows as a spheroid, you know, as a, as a basically like a little football. And uh, then I had another model that described, well, how does, uh, how, how does uh, hypoxia work? How does uh, oxygenation within that tumor work? Uh, and then how does that affect vascularization of that tumor? How do uh, blood vessels grow within that tumor? Um, and then we had models about uh, mutation of uh, the genes within that tumor and, uh, you know, and so on. And the problem was, well, we got all these different models and, they, and they're all useful in their own right. They all have some clinical value actually in their own right. But how do we get all those things to cooperate together to make to give us a, a bigger, better simulation of, of the complex system. This idea that, you know, it, it, it touches on every part, it has touched on every part of my career. It's touched, it touches on every industry that I've ever sort of um, uh, either worked in or heard about or read about or, you know, have connections in within my own network. You have this incredibly complex system or set of complex systems that are very, very difficult to model by themselves. Um, so what we do naturally as human beings is that we simplify them into these simple verticals, these simple modalities, and we make do with them. We say, okay, I'm just going to model this little thing here and we're going to make some ROI out of it. 
Yeah. Uh, but we never really, or very rarely do we think, well, how does that integrate with something else? And then how does that integrated thing integrate with something else? And how does that integrated thing, you know, and so on and so forth. How do you, how do we make your models bigger and bigger and bigger over time? And, um, and so that's, 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 that, that's how, that's how the idea of Jiva actually started from, from those sort of humble beginnings. How do we create multimodal uh, analyses from these single modal, um, single modal models? So, so that's why, that's why I mean, that's, that's, that was the focus in our sort of PhD days. Very quickly uh, realized that I couldn't afford a house as an academic <laughs> so so, uh, so so I sold my soul to the devil and um, and worked for banks and hedge funds and things and um, you know even in those even in those kind of environments it was the same situation you'd create some kind of model some kind of um, you know, predictor of say a share price or whether there's going to be a fair value of a non-fair value of, of a pair of, uh, of, of, a, of a trading pair um, and uh, you want to capitalize on that on that prediction and capitalize on that on that unfairness in the, in the system um, but e so even there you, you're looking at like a, a very narrow sliver of something that's incredibly complex and, and almost impossible to uh, to simulate as a whole and I mean if you could do that in the, in the stock market if you could do that in the FX market or derivatives market you'd be you know <laughs> you'd be you'd be a billionaire overnight yeah of um, course but you know it's, it's just it's just again it's just the nature of the beast you 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 simplify it and you just look at one tiny corner of this complex system uh, and you try to model it and you try to make and you try to you know uh, create some value from just doing just doing that little thing Whereas the real value, and then we've got the computational power to do things now, these, these kind of things now, that the real value is is making those making those predictors wider and more mm. applicable to to the complex system. So here's here's what I think we've gone we've been going wrong in in kind of AI in general. Um, but I'll talk a little bit about that, a little bit later when I talk about talk about what we're doing in Jiva. But it's it's a, the, this idea that you can have you can build multimodal predictors from single modal predictors i think is is an opportunity that is currently being missed from uh from the entire ai machine learning um uh, space and, and so that's where we're concentrating as jiva so um jiva is a uh, machine learning platform currently for data-driven healthcare but actually applicable across the board to all sorts of different industries um, we're starting in healthcare purely because it's um, it's incredibly complex. The data is complex. The data is not complete. It's, it's highly unstructured, um, highly varied. So you know you get handwritten reports to PDFs to uh, to numbers in Excel to you know databases and genomes and proteomes and three um, uh, D modeling of protein protein interactions. You know. The, the, the kind of records you're talking about are so diverse it's unreal mm. um and so our feeling was myself and my um the co-founder chetan who's who's actually a friend from university um because we're both from 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 this healthcare background he's a clinician himself uh, we felt that if we could do this in healthcare we could probably do it anywhere right so if we, if we yeah. could crack the complexity that we find here 
it's probably possible to do it pretty much anywhere else. Um, so, so that's 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 how we started. We we started the company in 2019, early 2019. Very quickly got traction in the uh, prostate cancer space through through a number of advisors and uh, mentors. Um, got the data in, started creating some models, and uh, leaked into um, other disease areas like uh, liver disease and um, bone fracture analysis, that kind of thing. Um, and we're now at a place where we have a platform where we can almost create any type of model we want um, uh, through this, through this, uh, through the magic of uh, essentially Amazon, and um, uh, you know, be you know, enabling our clients to to come in and create their own models of whatever corner of science they work in. Um, and giving them the ability to merge these different modalities together to create better and better predictors. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's in a nutshell. That's 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 where we're at. That's what we do as as Jiva. Um, we you know, yeah, that's that's really interesting actually. And you, you mentioned something there a little bit earlier on about you know kind of single predictors and how do you, how does do you extrapolate that into you know kind of multiple predictors? But I guess for the people that you know, haven't necessarily come across the the concept of multimodality before, I mean, in most kind of machine learning models now, you know, they usually take sort of one form of input, don't they? You know, either audio, yeah, exactly. text, or data, or whatever. And the thing that I find most exciting about this whole concept of multimodal you know, machine learning is. Yeah, when you think, because I did um, biopsychology at university as well, and a large portion right. of that is when you're sort of studying intelligence. It's like you can have a certain mm. a certain type of intelligence, but actually, the sort of the more overarching intelligence is actually being able to, um, you know, be versatile and kind of get the the right output or the right result from multiple different situations. And the thing I kind of see that mapping very closely onto this concept of multimodality where people think that you know there's a lot of really complex ai uh, models out there and, and machine learning sort of in, in lots of people's eyes really kind of quite advanced but like you say when you look at it in terms of um real intelligence is about spotting the it's about context isn't it about spotting the relationship between those those different exactly. models and at the moment we're kind of really falling short on you know there's some incredibly complex models but actually they're only in their own their own niche or their own right but actually being able to spot those patterns between to me that's kind of a big conscious step towards actual intelligence you know being able to communicate between Absolutely. those and sort of spot the commonality and the, the kind of common response uh, between them. Uh, so, so you touched on a really good point there so so i mean you, you look at look at um nursery school kids that you know they go to nursery they learn various different things at school but they're able to even even with infantile brains they're able to um able to join the dots together you know they're able to put things together that they learn in um, their virtual maths class or the virtual English class or you know they, they're able to put these things together in their brains quite nicely and neatly and the brain's very good at doing that and I think that's what I think that's what we're missing in machine learning is this fundamental principle through which we can put um, different modalities together and the best we can do at the moment is um, ensemble learning, right? So in ensemble learning, I mean there are various ways of doing it, but um, essentially what you're saying is, well, you take one output from one model and output from another, and then you'll decide which one is right or how right is one compared to the other. You know, and that's as good as you can get. But what we're talking about here are the fundamentals to what to what I think would be um, an absolute requirement to create more general AIs, right? To create this 
true intelligence, as a machine that is able to exhibit true intelligence, it would need to be able to bridge between those modalities. It would need to be able to reason um, in, in that particular way. And I think that's the only way to be able to do that is to, is to work on this, um, uh, uh, work on frameworks in which we can, we can build multimodal systems. Otherwise, I don't see how, how we can do it. I mean, as a point of fact, have a look at, I mean, if you, let's look at um, GPT-3. Right, GPT-3. So, I mean, it's pretty amazing when you look at the results. Is you know, you, you get, have this machine almost creating um, poetry and, and and things like this. And sure, it gets a few things wrong here and there, and sometimes it doesn't really make much sense. But what is it really doing under the hood? And again, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sort of um, uh, try try to try to make a negative out of this because it is a, an amazing achievement. What what what? Uh, what they've achieved with GPT-3, but um, it's, it's essentially ingested the entire English language and memorized how words follow one another. It hasn't really understood the context, it hasn't really understood what it's saying. It doesn't really understand what a poem is. It doesn't really understand what a story is. It might understand to some extent that a story has a beginning, middle and end, I guess. Um, but again, that's because it's, it's, it's memorized essentially memorized um, sequences of words. And so it doesn't really go far enough. What I'm saying is if we were to create another GPT-3, a facsimilative GPT-3, I think a better way to do it would be, why aren't we learning smaller parts of this complex whole? So why aren't we learning things like grammar, things like uh, um, I don't know, uh, you know, the, the facets of poetry, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. We learn, this, you know, you learn, learn bits of information separately and develop the understanding and develop the framework uh, to put all of those models together. And I think the sum would be much greater the, than, the, than its parts, uh, you know, in, in that respect. And then that's what essentially what we're trying to do here. We're trying to create multimodal systems and try to make um, uh, the whole greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, I find it an absolutely fascinating subject to say from kind of, uh, from university, the part of, part of um, you know, I enjoyed most was, you know, about memory formation, you know, and kind mm. of and just the different structure of the brain and the way it works. And yep. you know, I was having this conversation with someone the other day that was talking about, you know, for, for and this this is kind of I guess where the, the lines get blurred and we sort of fast forward into the future and we think about all these kind of robots and how they you know, in, interact like humans and it's all sort of seamless but if you think about the complexity of just trying to recreate that that human intelligence you know, and, and I think that's where the, the fundamental difference lies between humans as a biological entity and you know machines as a, a digital entity you know we as humans we learn from the world through our interaction with the world but you know we we learn from an external stimulus something happens and then there's a there's an emotional response yeah yeah and that's the kind of difference that we learn by you know something happens and then the, the degree to that emotional response is is how poignant the memory is and that's kind of how we learn sort of context you know something something yeah. happens you've got your, your amygdala which is the sort of part of the brain which is emotional and it's right next to the lateral hippocampus which is the the part of your brain that stores memory yeah and as humans we've got that ability to obviously um differentiate between that in a real world scenario of kind of you know, how we navigate our way through the world but obviously within a, a, a system and a kind of a, a binary kind of you know digital um algorithm whatever it's so difficult to 
be able to you know, program that complexity or that kind of um, that kind of emotional response, you know, to actually pick up on the, the links between the two different you know, modes, isn't it? And, and, and to add and to add to that, add to that, your your reaction to experience will be different to my reaction to experience, and and our memories of that particular experience, even though that experience might be identical, um, might be very very different. Yeah. And and, and it, I mean I, I I mean I find that I find that fascinating. I mean, we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to create. I don't think we'd be able to create an artificial. Uh, super intelligence or, or general intelligence, whatever we crazy kids are calling it nowadays, um, purely by learning from human behavior, it would have to be almost organic. Mm. And for, for it to be organic, it would need to be it, there would need to be this principle of how how it puts context onto those experiences and how and how it actually builds the reaction to that. And you know, there are so many. I mean, there are so many different uh, levers and cogwheels moving here it's um it's crazy i i, I think the next 10 to 10 15 years in, in this space will be really, really interesting especially if we start to look to look at things towards the multimodality aspect of uh, of ai um I, I do think i do think as a community look 90 percent of the world is currently using some kind of neural network based machine learning so deep learning or whatever um 10 of the world uses bayesian methodologies neither really put a lot of emphasis on this multimodal aspect this framework to get these things working together mm. i think we're going down a rabbit hole i think i think at some point we're going to have to start start acknowledging that you, you never have a full data set to begin with um, mm. to learn uh, you're always going to have partial data sets and therefore you have to learn partial data sets and somehow integrate those at the ai level rather than integrating data and creating your ais is kind of putting putting the entropy somewhere else um, so you know the, the, the way people have thought about this before is well we can get multimodal ais by saying well we can get data over here and data over here which are different modalities we'll integrate the data and then create an ai on top of that okay that's fine okay you can do that but in reality, those two data sets might not even exist at the same time. You might just have one for a number of years. Look at healthcare. You might just have, you know, blood serum data for years and years and years in your data set. And only recently do you have MRI data or something like this to, to augment it, to give you a better diagnosis of a cancer. Mm. And so reality doesn't, reality doesn't work like that. Reality isn't, isn't, um, doesn't conform to be able to merge different data sets together um you know um all the time so i think we are going to have to work on this framework that um ai's ai's together um rather than data sets together absolutely absolutely yeah i mean there's obviously a huge sort of huge way to go like so when you break it down like that and you realize just the the, the sheer scale of the task that's ahead of us but i still feel like you know the next 10 15 years like i said it's an incredibly exciting space because you know as far as we feel like you know we're you know, we get up and we, we talk to Alexa and, you know, we kind of have that, that is probably part of our lives, I guess, isn't it? That sort of few, that machine interaction. Um, you yeah. know, we're still only scratching the surface insofar as how far we've got left to go. And, uh, you know, that's why I think it's an incredible, that's why, you know, why I focus true north specifically on this area. Cause I think, you know, the one thing we can't move or, or really hide from is that 
from a commercial perspective, you know, AI in whatever guise it exists now is is very much alive and kicking insofar as it is solving people's problems in a much more automated and efficient manner than we've ever been able to do it before. Um, you know, and I think that's why just purely from a you know um money in the bank account situation you know, it's, it's obviously not going anywhere it's only going to increase you know um, as time goes on but yeah to think yeah. about these kind of bigger ethical issues and sort of social impact and like I say within healthcare in particular you know, it's just really really exciting to see the kind of breakthroughs that i think it genuinely will have in you know in, in, the, in the positive you know, impact oh, yeah. it's going to have on the oh world. yeah i mean just look at one of the one of the projects that we're working on is um uh, prostate cancer diagnosis and uh, some of the stats when I mean, we were doing the modeling on this uh, so not the not the, uh, the the diagnostic modeling i mean the the health economics modeling around this that some of the numbers are just mind-blowing right so um prostate cancer number of prostate cancer diagnoses overtook breast cancer for the first time in the uk uh, in 2020 um so it's a incredibly prevalent cancer second biggest killer of men globally um and uh you know so some some of these uh little little facts like if um, if i'm 65 years old i probably have prostate cancer but the likelihood is i'll I'll probably die of something else um but if 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 you if i do have cancer and it does become aggressive then it's actually very treatable so long as it's so long as it's treated early Mm -hmm. Uh, and so the impact you can have on on uh on society by just simply creating a better diagnostic of prostate cancer is is huge yeah we we're, we're currently working on this uh, um diagnostic uh, the current clinical pathway is currently that you know you have a psa test which is like a psa is basically this molecule that flies around in your blood and um if it's elevated to a certain degree then it's indicative of having prostate cancer but it's not very it's not very uh, specific it isn't it's not very it's not a very good indicator as such by itself and so you have a scan and then even in the scan 60 to 65 percent of scans are indeterminate um so radiologist or you know the, the mdt the multidisciplinary team can't can't specifically tell whether you know there's a cancer that needs to be operated on or 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 needs needs that needs to be treated and so that 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 person will go for a biopsy and remember we're talking about elderly generally talk about elderly men here they're already immunocompromised to some extent mm. um up to 80 percent get some kind of minor complication due to the biopsy 50 percent get something more serious and two percent get uh can end up getting sepsis and, and that's life-threatening so um you know avoiding biopsies especially when you don't actually have cancer is is uh, is imperative it costs the healthcare system millions and millions and millions of pounds it costs uh the u.s system three billion dollars plus uh in, in terms of uh you know side effects so um something as simple as just a you know just a severity score or a or a um a, an aid for the for the radiologist to say well um you know did you look at this particular area of the scan and or i think this particular t- uh, part of the scan looks very very suspicious or not very suspicious suspicious you know that kind those kind of visual aids can have a huge impact on uh on healthcare even if we're able to um, to reduce the throughput of false positives in of biopsies by 10 percent that's yeah. represents millions of pounds of, of savings it represents thousands of lives um that don't you know either saved or don't have to go through a lot of pain and suffering um one of the one of the big things that 
one of the big things that came out through our analysis was that uh, the majority of um, uh, of complaints about the whole process in, in in prostate cancer in the UK this is was the fact that men had to wait a long long time up to five to six weeks to get the results of a scan and that's because of this huge backlog right mm. the radiologists are, are overwhelmed with work they are there is a massive shortage of radiologists and therefore it is huge burgeonings of mental health issue with um with men that are just waiting to to get a scan and it's 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 a very very horrible situation that is now only going to get worse because of because of covid because you know hundreds of men during lockdown didn't have their scans mm. they're now gonna they are now gonna you know hit the hospitals um early next year and um uh that's going to cause huge disruption it's going to cause a huge backlog um, it will make it even worse and so yeah we, we need we need anything that anything that can help us help us alleviate um that burden on the nhs and and all healthcare systems globally it would be would be um, a very positive thing and, and i think that's where the opportunity is for ai in healthcare yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely in this post-pandemic um era there's there's definitely an opportunity here for for us to make a positive impact uh both on both on society human health and uh, and in terms of um uh, finances for healthcare systems yeah yeah totally agree and uh unfortunately i, I kind of know what you're talking about you know firsthand really we had a we had a loss in the family um oh. actually my my uncle was my mum's cousin um only a few weeks ago and it's, it's the exact scenario you just mentioned you know unfortunately he was he was being mm -hmm. treated for a, a water infection you know throughout the majority mm -hmm. of the um of the first lockdown only to you know come out of the second lockdown and realize that it was advanced advanced stage cancer that just wasn't picked up early enough and uh mm -hmm. you know uh, really quite quite a young fit guy sort of 62 um yeah it's exactly what you've just mentioned there and i think you know any kind of um like say any any help we can get to expedite that process and and avoid what you know I know it's been a, a extremely difficult time for the NHS and obviously you can't sort of underestimate that but uh, mm. yeah it has had huge impact you know uh, repercussions for for other illnesses and any sort of support we can offer to uh, you know create systems and and sort of use that computing power like you say in an effective way to avoid those kind of situations it's literally going to save millions of lives isn't it and, yeah it is definitely and it, it, we have to take advantage of this we have to take advantage of the fact that the nhs is such an amazing institution that, that you know that there's a plethora of data there there's a plethora of expertise there that we the uk is in a unique position to to offer um uh, these kind of uh, these kind of technologies right we, we, we have this amazing sort of um conglomeration of uh uh data healthcare expertise um uh, computer science expertise uh, academics and and the will in the form of nhsx and um the ai council uh to to actually produce these kind of diagnostics and produce not even the diagnostics you know the diagnostics is just one small part of it you know any sort of analytics within healthcare um uh, to 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 make things to make the world a better place and it sounds, sounds, sounds like a platitude, but uh, you know, it's um, it really is. It really is an opportunity that that we can that we can uh, service, and we should. Yeah, totally agree. That's what totally one agree. of our missions as Jeeva is, is to be able to do that, is to democratize the use of multimodal AI and make that available to everyone to use. 
Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you on behalf of everybody for uh, for all the good work you're doing, and uh, you know, definitely, definitely keep up. It's really admirable, and I think it's such a great uh, you know thing to be doing on a daily basis, and the level of kind of fulfilment you must get off the back of uh, you know the work you're doing. It's uh, it's super. Oh well, it's yeah, it's better than working in a bank. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> not to not to disparage that, but it's um it's a lot more fulfilling. That's for sure. Being 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 able to well, there's two things, right? Working in your own startup it has its own merits and rewards, but it also has its own pains, its own unique pains. Um, but being able to do it in a way that is benefiting other people is is definitely something that is irreplaceable. You can't. You, there's no, you know. It, I'll take an example in my CTO, uh, uh, Richard, who who joined us a couple of months ago, or two or three months ago, and one of the main reasons he he joined well at least one of the main reasons i felt he joined was that it was obviously you know it's not the money because you don't get more money in a startup um uh, one of the things is the technology that you work with and, and just the vision but it's also what you're doing right, within healthcare and the impact you're having within healthcare and um, and he said that on a couple of occasions like you know uh, the impact is a big deal for him and um i think that's um i think that's incredibly important to 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 uh, you know, to work in something where you can have a societal impact that's important to me anyway that's that, that we have some kind of impact on some kind of positive impact on society and the world um, yeah i only I, I only wish we i only wish we were working on the vaccine and got the vaccine in first but, <laughs> but we did as a lot of people do i guess but uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree i think yeah 2020 for for all its ups and downs i think it has helped a lot of people kind of really you know, put a magnifying glass over their life of what's what's truly important um you know and kind of reevaluate their uh, priorities in life and i think a lot of people now are you know moving away from doing a job for the sake of doing a job or doing a job because purely for the money to actually you know i'm, I'm doing this for other reasons that i find way more fulfilling than and you know, a bit more money in my bank account at the end of every month so uh, yeah, no, i totally it. totally relate to that um mm-hmm. so Lovely. Well, Manish, it's been absolutely awesome speaking to you. Really enjoyed the chat. I uh, found it really interesting. And um, I like to end every podcast with asking a question that um, I actually stole from uh, a book I read. I don't know if you read it uh, by a guy called Rich Reeves. But if I could tell you one thing where he basically went around loads of famous people and celebrities and just yeah. asked them for their their one favorite piece of advice. Um, so if I may, uh, I'd like to ask you, have you got a, a favorite piece of advice that... Um, you could share with with the listeners yeah um don't be afraid to ask for help i think is the main one it's it's uh it's so i I say that from a startup perspective but also like just you know career building and 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 virtually every stage of my life um you know earlier in my career i've always i was probably a little bit too shy and didn't ask for help early enough and i suffered for it and so no, no questions are stupid questions. You shouldn't just, just be confident about your own ability. And and if you don't understand something, or you don't get why you're doing something, or you don't get the fuller vision, or you know whatever it is, don't be afraid to ask for help. Because yeah. um, the earlier you do that, the the better it is for you. What a great note to end on. Well, uh, Manish, all I can do is say thank you very much. You, again yeah. for your time fantastic speaking to you and uh, yeah i'm really really excited to hear about the, the next sort of steps for jiva ai so best of luck with it all let's know uh, let's know how you get on and uh, yeah hopefully you can pop back on do another episode with us in the not too distant future when uh, 
you know we've got um, a bit more to chat about in future i guess absolutely thanks for the opportunity no worries at all take care Cheers. bye for now Cheers.